It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, I was here two years ago, and my, how things have changed. Two years ago, you were at another building, and this was just a shell. And uh, it is so cool to see how God's favor and hand is on heart of the city. Um, and I do feel like I'm with family here. This church, uh, the staff, the pastors, I feel like I'm with family. I do want to give honor to Pastor J.O. and Ray Dean. Uh, they're some of our heroes that we get to watch from a distance. We follow them on Instagrams and Snaps chats and everything social. And, uh, and uh, if we didn't live in Portland, we would move to Coeur d'Alene to sit in the pews in this seat, in this church. And my wife, Kirsty, uh, finally got to come, which I'm honoured. She's uh, just as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. She's my dearest friend. Uh, we've been married nearly eight years now. And uh, marriage just keeps getting better. We've got two kids at home. Uh, Avery, uh, Aves, the coolest name. I gave it to him. <laughs> He's three and a half. And then my daughter, Harper, she's about 20 months. Uh, Harper, not Hamper, not Hopper, Harper, Harper. Um, and uh, just to make sure that you know, <laughs> I'm not giving my kids weird names. And uh, we're honored to be here. Uh, what a great camp it's been. I got to hang out with your young people. Thank you for entrusting uh, your young people to an Australian preacher. Uh, but I do feel like I got something to share tonight, if that's okay with you. Um, I, I got a word uh, and a couple of thoughts for, for everybody here. I know I'm a youth pastor, but the good news about the Bible is the Bible speaks to all ages, all demographics, all races, all nationalities, all walks of life. And when we preach the Bible, every single person has the opportunity, not just to, not to hear my voice, but to hear his voice. We're going to go to two scriptures tonight and we're going to dive into it. Here we go. First John 4 verse 10. I don't know if it's able to come up on the screen. First John 4 verse 10. Uh, it says this, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, not that we found God, not that we initiated anything, but that he loved us. He found us. He initiated everything and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement, the covering the adequate sacrifice for our sins, that God found us, we didn't find Him, that God started it, we didn't start anything. That is good news. One more scripture and we'll dive into it. Genesis, tell me to the very beginnings of your Bible, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 15 verse 7, fairly lengthy passage of scripture. But as we go through it, my prayer is that God would speak to every single one of us. And here's a story about God interacting with a man called Abraham. Abraham, the father of faith, Abraham had many sons and many sons have father Abraham and I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right, okay, I'm not gonna do it. Here we go. Genesis 15, verse seven. And this is what God said to Abraham. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans. Didn't just bring you out, but I gave you a land to possess. And Abraham responded, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey, when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. There'll be servants there. 
They'll be afflicted for 400 years, but Moses will lead them out. I'll bring judgment on that nation. And then afterwards, they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a promise to Abraham. On that day, God made a promise to Abraham. There's a phrase that I've taken issue with, and uh, I recognize the well-meaning and intent of it, but there's a phrase that I've come to the conclusion uh, isn't necessarily true. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, try your best, God will do the rest? Have you heard that phrase? I understand why we say it, but, but the more and more I come into a relationship with God, I recognize that my best isn't really good enough. No matter how hard I try, it's not good enough. I've come to the conclusion that, God, I need your everything. I need you to do it all. My job's not to initiate. My, my job is how do I respond? How do I receive? How do I simply reciprocate everything that you give to me? That our confidence isn't in our ability. Our confidence is completely in his. I want to talk to you from this thought. I want to talk to you from this idea. And if you're taking down notes, they say it raises your IQ about 30 points. Take that at will. If you want to write notes now, fine. If not, it's totally up to you. Uh, they, uh, I want to write, I want to share from this thought uh, the promise and the keeper. The promise and the keeper that if God started a work, he's faithful to finish it. If God's the one that starts it, he's the one that's faithful to finish it. The promise and the keeper. Come on, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's allow God to just speak tonight. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, I just thank you that it's living and active. God, I thank you that there's some promises here for every single one of us. God, I pray for anybody here in this room that feels distant from you, God, away from your goodness, away from your mercy. Jesus, let your mercy, let your goodness draw them to you. God, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, if there's anybody here, God, that there's some promises they've let go of. God, I pray that tonight you would restore faith. God, I pray that tonight, God, we would simply recognize your goodness. God, I recognize my role. God, my role is simply this, to point people to you. Jesus, that's my job, to point people to you. God, I pray that you'd speak to every single one of us, young, old, in between, those that are leading, those that are serving, those that might be here for the first time. God, we're not checking off a box. God, we're here to encounter a living God, a living God who meets the needs of his people. God, speak to us in your mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. When you read this passage in Genesis chapter 15, the, Abraham, the father of faith, when God's talking to Abraham, did any of you else think, did anybody else think to themselves uh, that Abraham, the father of faith, doesn't really respond with faith? Like when we read this passage, does anybody else see that Abraham, the father, the author of faith, the mighty man of faith listed in Hebrews 11, like Abraham, the father of faith, does anybody else notice that he, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of faith? Anybody else see that? In fact, when you read this passage, Abraham not having faith is a little bit absurd because it even shows us what God saved him from. It says, hey, Abraham, I found you when you were in the Earl of the Chaldeans, pre-Babylonian era, a land of swamp lands, a land of marshlands, a land that was, that was demonized, a land that worshiped idols, a land that sacrificed its children. And guess what? In that land, that land of darkness, God says to Abraham, I found 
found you when you were at your worst. I found you when you were living in hell. But not only did I find you at your worst, I've got something in store for you. I want to bring you to your best. I want, I want to bring you to this little place, this land, heaven, here on earth. I found you in hell, but I'm promising you heaven. And when you read this story, Abraham, he doesn't respond in faith. It's one of those, it's one of those promises that seems like too good to be true. If you haven't had those days, this is just too good to be true. That scratch it actually came through for you. You know, there's days where it, it just, it just, it's just too good to be true. I remember when I was in second grade, I remember this distinctly. It was Monday morning, about 6.30 a.m. And uh, in second grade, Monday morning rolls around, you're starting to process the week. I'm going back to school. Uh, the Monday doldrums are starting to set in as I recognize I've got five days left until my next weekend. And my father walks into my room and he says, hey, Dylan, uh, we were thinking, instead of going to school today, what do you think about going to like the Australian version of like SeaWorld? What do you think oh. about that? Stop. Oh. No. <laughs> Don't you be joshing me, Dad. Don't you be playing with my emotions like that. That's a bad joke. You can't, you can't do that to me. He's like, no, we're serious. Instead of going to school, let, let's pull the whole family out. And let's go to see. No, 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 no. Come on. Don't you be playing with me because don't get my expectations so high only to see them crushed as a second grader. I can't handle this. And dad said, no, we're going to see Weldon. Oh, it was the best day of school I ever had. Oh, we had so much fun all day, riding water slides, having a great time. We went to private Christian school. The next day, all my friends came up to me and said, Dylan, we've been praying for you and your family. Your whole family is out last yesterday. They must have been sick. Um, we've been praying. Obviously, look, our prayers have been answered. Your whole family's back at school today. I said, thank you very much. Yesterday was a rough day. Have you ever had those days that are, that are too good to be true? Have you ever had those moments that this is too good to be true? Abraham is having a conversation with God and God is telling Abraham, hey, look, I found you in hell. You weren't looking for me. I found you, but not only am I able to pull you out, I'm promising heaven in front of you. And Abraham does not respond with faith. He responds with a question. He says, God, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know that this is going to happen? How am I supposed to know? Have you ever asked God that question, how am I supposed to know? Have you ever asked God this question, God, how am I supposed to know you can save me from this? God, how am I supposed to know you can save me from this addiction? God, how am I supposed to know that this battle in my mind isn't always going to be there? God, how am I supposed to know? God, how am I supposed to know that you can reach my family? God, how am I supposed to know? Have you ever had this question when you're really honest with yourself? God, how am I supposed to know I'm going to make it? How am I supposed to know I'm not going to mess this whole thing up? How am I, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know? I'm not going to go back to old ways of living. How am I supposed to know? Have you ever asked yourself this question? How am I supposed to know? Is there any honest people in this room when it comes to the things of God? You say, God, how could you save me? How could you find me? How could you possibly reach into my world? God, how could you possibly fix my situation? God, how could I possibly step into what you're promising? God, is there any people here tonight that if you're honest, you have to admit, I've asked the question. 
How am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know? You see, Abraham, Abraham asked the same question. He has the same excuses that every single one of us have. How am I supposed to know? Look, I'm an old man. Look at my age. How can I step into that promise? God, how am I supposed to know I'm 75 years old? I don't have any kids. How am I supposed to know? God, do you know my history? Do you know the family that I've come from? God, do you know, do you know the things that I've done? When I, was, when I was in that place, it was not conducive to relationship with you. God, do you recognize where I've come from? God, how am I supposed to know where I'm going? You've got heaven in front of me. How am I supposed to get there? Abraham has the same excuse as we do. God, God haven't you seen the addiction I've been battling with lately? God, haven't you seen the parents that I've been dealt this hand? That family wasn't conducive to relationship with you, God. God, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know this mistake's not going to haunt me for the rest of my life? God, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know that I'm not going to keep making the same mistake in my future? God, how am I supposed to know? Abraham asks the exact same question that every single one of us, whether we verbalize it or internalize it, we all ask the same question, God, how, how am I, how am I supposed to know? And God does something so interesting to Abraham. God doesn't try and convince Abraham. He doesn't try and talk him out of the questioning. In fact, it's, it says that God allowed Abraham to feel something. He, he felt something. It says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Why would God allow Abraham to feel darkness? Why would, Abra why would God allow Abraham to feel darkness? I don't know about you, but darkness is something that I try and avoid. Darkness, darkness is something that I def definitely don't feel comfortable around. Is there anybody here that when it comes to going to bed at night, you're one of those people, you have to have your room pitch black. You know what I'm talking about. When it comes to, hey, if I'm going to sleep, there's a crack under the door, hey, I might as well go back to work. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this, this is, sleep is not happening right now. Anybody here, like when it comes to going to sleep, it's like, if it's not pitch black, you're like, the night's ruined, I have insomnia, I might as well just keep being productive. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever thought how you achieve darkness? Have you ever thought, like, for that person who needs the room pitch black, do you know what you don't do to achieve darkness? You know you don't go to the wall and go to the switch and you don't turn on the dark switch? <laughs> you came from Portland, Oregon to tell me this. My mind is being blown. You, you know when it comes to darkness, you know you don't go to the light bulb and unscrew the light bulb to turn in the dark bulb? No, how you achieve darkness, dark, darkness actually doesn't have a substance. Darkness, darkness doesn't actually have a power. Darkness doesn't actually have an authority. Darkness, darkness isn't something that you manufacture. Darkness, darkness is simply an absence of light. Darkness has no power. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And God begins to reveal to Abraham and he begins to feel darkness. What is God doing? He's showing Abraham, you've got a question. And what is Abraham feeling? God's showing him areas in his life where there is an absence. 
See, when the Bible talks about darkness, it represents a couple things. The first area is this area called sin, our favorite topic. When the Bible talks about darkness, it talks about sin. It's the things that we do that damage our relationship with God. It's the things that we do that damage our relationship with people. Sin, it's the things that we do that damage, damage ourselves. Sin, it's the things that we do that are against God's will outside of his parameters and we find that it damages us. It's, it's the things that we do that we want to keep in the dark. The, the things that at night behind the screen that we don't want anybody to know about. It is, it's the things that, that, that in the moment we look for satisfaction, but in the morning it comes with regret. It's the things that we do where we talk about people behind their back because we want to feel superior and so we have to pull somebody down and make them inferior. It's sin. It's the things that we do. It's the substances that we do in secret that we don't want anybody to know about it. When it comes to this area of darkness, the Bible talks about darkness. It's first and primary area is this area of sin. And it's those things that we do we don't want anybody to know about. It's the things we do that we want to... Keep in the dark. You see, the, the world and the church might differ on what, what sin is, what's right and wrong. But both, both the world and the church agree that humanity can't, can't operate under the consequences of sin. You see, the world, when it comes to this area, the world says, hey, the consequences of sin, we can't live under it. And so what does the world tell us to do? It tells us to minimize our guilt and shame. It says, if you're dealing with this area, what, what, what the problem is, is, is that, that it's not you, it's, it's the social setting that you're in. There's no fault to you. What, what it says is, uh, it, it, the world says, hey, look at you compared to that other person, you're actually not too bad. It says, this is how the world deals with sin. Hey, 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 I, I, what, what I've done and what I've done in secret, the things that I've let in, it's okay because there's somebody worse out there. This is how the world tells us to deal with sin. It says you need to minimize it. You need to make sure that it's insignificant. Sweep it under the rug, keep it in the dark, and time will eventually cause it to go away. But have you noticed that time does not fix all sin? In fact, just like mold, it just gets, it just grows. It stays there in the secret. The best we can do is expose it and talk to somebody, but there is no way to remove it. You see, the world says minimize your sin. But when I read my Bible and I get to church, it doesn't say minimize your sin. It says maximize your need for a savior. The solution is not to sweep it under the rug. The solution is to expose it to the light because there's some people here in this room right now, when it comes to sin and darkness, you've convinced yourself that you're too far gone. You've convinced yourself that you've made too great a mistake. You've convinced yourself that the darkness you've associated with is too great for you. But I'm here to tell you, there is no power or authority in darkness. Darkness has no authority in your life. The solution is not for you to try harder. The solution is simply to let the light in. Abraham to feel darkness. God allows Abraham to feel his inadequacy. But darkness doesn't, isn't just represented by sin. Da darkness represents people that have no vision. They don't know where they're going. Have you noticed how darkness obscures your vision? Have you noticed how darkness causes you to see things that aren't there and not see things that are there? 
Do you notice that darkness affects, affects your vision? Anybody else, when you walk home at night, you see things? <laughs> Growing up, my parents made me play sports. Um, they made me play this sport called soccer. And uh, they took it upon themselves to build character in me. I'm grateful for it. And uh, at soccer practice, we run around a lot. So my parents thought to themselves, hey, instead of us dropping you off at soccer practice, why don't we make you run to soccer practice? You're young, you're, 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 you're in shape, obviously. Um, why don't we make you run to practice? And I'm like, mom, dad, what, what do you think happens at soccer? Well, like, that's all we do is run. Like, I'm running to soccer practice, I'm running at soccer practice, and I'm running home from soccer practice. I was the fittest person on the team. Until one day, my dad said to me, he says, Dylan, after soccer practice, uh, we've got a new building that we're constructing, a house that we're building. Why don't you meet me at the construction site? I'm like a 12-year-old guy. I'm like, great, yeah. Awesome, Let, let's do that. And so after soccer practice, it's about nine o'clock at night in wintertime in Australia, and it is dark. And for me to get to this construction site that we're building a house, I have to run through a park and it's, it's dark. I'm 12 years old. And as I'm running behind a tree, I th- I'm pretty sure I just saw a man with a knife. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm I start running a little bit faster now as I'm running. There is, there is a shrub behind. There is a samurai ninja warrior with a 10-foot long sword. He's coming to get me. By this time, I am just booking it so fast. I get to this empty, empty construction site, and I get there, and I yell out, Father! That's how pastors talk. Father! Where art thou? You know. He was nowhere to be, like, my dad wasn't even there. I'm like, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and I'm running around this abandoned construction site, tripping over, and I look, oh, that, I just saw Lucifer. Lucifer himself was right there. The, why, 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 what is going on? Because darkness doesn't just represent sin. Darkness obscures your vision. Abraham allows, God allows Abraham to feel certain things. God allows Abraham to feel his inadequacy. God allows Abraham to feel his inability. God allows Abraham to feel his inadequacy. He allows him to feel his inability. God, look, I can't, I can't fix myself on my own. God, I can't get where I'm supposed to on my own. You see, we ask this question, God, how am I supposed to know? God, how am I supposed to know I'm going to make it? How am I supposed to know I'm going to kick this habit? How am I supposed to know that I'm not going to deal with these thoughts my entire life? God, how am I supposed to know that this isn't going to define me, that the mistake I made last week isn't going to define me for the rest of my life? God, how am I supposed to know that you can reach into my family that seems like it's an impossible situation? We're asking God this question. God, how am I? How am I? How am I supposed to know? And God comes to Abraham and says, it has nothing to do with your ability. You, you, You see... You see, it's when you realize how bad we are, you begin to see how good he is. It's when you realize how, how bad a predicament you're in, when you realize, when I realize how I've made a mess of it, when I realize, man, I do not know how I'm going to get there, when I realize there's no way I can fix this problem, there's no way for me to get this out of my life, when I realize how bad a situation I am in, it causes me to say, God, look at how good you are because you have to get me out of this predicament. Because Abraham, Abraham 
is allowed to feel something from God, his inadequacy and his inability. And this is what God begins to do. God begins to make him a promise. God initiates it. Abraham says, God, how am I supposed to know? God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, I want you to take some animals and I want you to cut them in half and I want you to create a pathway. What, what, what's going on here? We, we think to ourselves, how, how archaic, how, how primitive, how, how tribal, why, why would God ask Abraham to do something like this? But Abraham knew exactly what was taking place because in that day and age, day, what, what this was, was this is how you made a contract with somebody. This is how you sign a contract. And we think, how morbid, how, 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 how old-fashioned. And yet, have you noticed that you and I, we do the same thing? That, that when it comes to promise-making, we, we apply the same principles. Let me go back to elementary school. Maybe for some of us, we still remember that. For some of us, maybe that's a distant memory we choose to forget. But do you remember when you were in elementary school and somebody in the lunchroom comes to you and it's your first day? And they say, hey, it would be great if you sit with me. You're nervous. It's your first day of school. And you sit with them and they, and they say, hey, uh, later on, I've got some cookies I'd love to share with you. Why don't you partake in them with me and let's eat some cookies together. You're jazzed. You're jazzed. You're jazzed. You're going to get some cookies. And so what do you do? At, uh, uh, later on, you go to them and you say, hey, friend, dear friend, thank you so much for allowing me to partake in this offering that you presented to me. Where are those cookies? And your friend, your so-called friend goes like this. Oh, boy. I know I said that, but I didn't promise. I didn't promise. I didn't promise. So what do you do? You walk away and you're upset. Man, this school is now nasty. This school, this school is not conducive to great relationships. This school, and the next day, this person has the audacity. They come up to you and they say, I know I blew it the other day, but my mom made me some fresh chocolate chip cookies. You're going to love them. Why don't you sit by me? And you're like, you know, shame me once, fool on me. Shame me twice, nailed it. And you say, hey, look, look, if, if, if you want to share these cookies with me, this is what I need you to do. I need you to promise me, promise me. Your friend says this, of course, I promise. And so lunchtime rolls around, you sit down next to this so-called friend and you say, well, I would love to have those cookies, you promised me. And your friend does this. Oh, boy, I'm in a pickle. Because I know I said I promised, but, but I have my fingers and my toes crossed which means that I don't have to actually keep my word. You're livid, you're upset. You're, you're, you're so upset, you don't know what to do the next day. This person has the audacity to come to you and say, I've got some fresh cookies for you. I would love to sit down and let you eat in them. And this is what you do. You say, I need you to promise, cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. Why do you do that? Because you're now making a promise and you're attaching consequences to them so that person ensures they fulfill their word. God comes to Abraham. We're going to cut some animals. What is taking place? A promise is about to be made with consequences attached to him because this is what God is saying to Abraham. He's saying, how are you supposed to know? This is how you know because I'm going to make you a promise. 
I'm gonna make you a promise right here, right now, and there's gonna be consequences attached to it. When you bought your car, you signed a contract. If you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain, there's consequences. When you bought your house and you bought a mortgage, you signed some papers and you said, I've got a bargain that I've got to live up to. If I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, there's gonna be consequences attached to this decision. And so Abraham knows exactly what is going on. What is partaking in this place? Abraham knows what is gonna happen right here, right now. This is how I'm gonna know. There is a promise that I'm about to make because in that day and age, if you needed something, you always, the lesser always got something from the greater. The servant always needed something from the king. The peasant always needed the property or the finances from the noble. The lesser always needed something from the greater. And so this is Abraham's mentality. This is what is taking place. God says, this is how you're supposed to know. This is how you're gonna know that you're gonna make it. Let's make a promise and there's gonna be consequences attached to him. And this is what Abraham is thinking. This is how I'm going to know. When I walk through and make this promise, when I walk through and make this covenant, when I make my commitment to God, this is how I know I'm going to fulfill my end of the bargain. This is how I know I'm gonna make it. This is how I know because if I don't fill my end of the bargain, if I don't fulfill my end, this is what my life will be. My life will be like these animals. I will experience the consequences to my actions. If I don't keep my end of the bargain, I die just like these animals. If I don't fill, my end of the bargain they'll be held to pay and Abraham is just about to make a promise with almighty God this is how you know you're going to make it how am I supposed to know this addiction will be cut how am I supposed to know my family's going to make it how am I supposed to know I'm not going to go back because I know there's consequences they'll be held to pay if I don't this is how most of us approach a relationship with God this is how I know I'm going to make it I'm going to look to myself I'm going to look to the consequences I'm going to look not just consequences in this life but consequences in the next life I'm going to find that there's consequences that follow me if I don't live up to God's expectation and Abraham is just about to move through and God doesn't let him. God doesn't allow him to walk through. Abraham never made the promise. It says that instead of Abraham walking through, it says that the furnace the oven pressure, the, the pressure cooker and the torch passed through instead. What, what is taking place? Church, what is happening in this moment? Abraham asked the question, how do I know? This is what is taking place. God made a promise to Abraham and this is what he says. Abraham, how are you supposed to know? How you know is this, because I initiated the promise and if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, I die. How am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know I'm going to be free? How am I supposed to know I'm going to make it? How am I supposed to know I'm not going to fall back? How am I supposed to know I'm going to get there? How am I supposed to know that this isn't going to follow me all my life? How am I supposed to know I'm going to live free and not under, but above? How am I supposed to know that my past doesn't have to haunt me? How am I supposed to know my family won't define my future? How am I supposed to know this is how you're supposed to know? Because God made you a promise. Wow and said, I made you, I started something. And if I don't fulfill my promise, I die. But it's twofold. Notice what happens. Notice what happens. It takes two to make a promise. God walks through and says, how you know? I started it. I made you a promise. I die if I don't fulfill it. But Abraham never walks through. What, what happened? God says to Abraham, 
How do you know? I made you a promise. If, I, if my promise doesn't happen, I die. But if you break your promise to me, if you don't live up to your expectations, your conscience, if you don't live up to what you know is right, Abraham never walked through what took place. God says this, if I break my promise, I die. If you break your promise to me, I'll still die in your place. See, how are we supposed to know? You see, we don't fear the consequences. We have faith that there's a good God who's taking the fall for us. You see, oftentimes when it comes to our world, we think it's about our responsibility, what we can do. But I've got good news for you. There was a God who made a promise. Our our responsibility is not to keep the promise, but we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to protect the promise. It's not greasy grace. It's not you get to do whatever you want now. What is our responsibility? Notice, notice in this passage, here we go, here we go. I need a band up here. Notice what happens. Abraham is about to make a promise. He's making a promise with God. He makes a promise and notice what happens. It says the birds came and what? Began to attack, not Abraham, but began to attack the promise. You see, this is what happens in our life when we find that there's some things in our life that aren't living up to God's expectations, when there's some things in our life that don't measure up to what the Bible says. This is the things that we say, God, I'm under attack. Notice the enemy wasn't attacking Abraham. He was attacking the promise. God, I've got some sickness in my body. How am I supposed to know I'm gonna make it? I'm under attack right now. God, my world is upside down. It's full of chaos. Everywhere I look, there's nothing good to see. God, how am I supposed to know I'm under attack right now? God, this addiction I thought I beat, the temptation is still in front of me. I'm under attack right now. Can I tell you you're not under attack because what's being under attack is not Abraham. What's being under attack is the promise. The promise is being under attack. The promises in your life, the enemy is coming under attack. How do we know this? Why? Because the Bible interprets the Bible. In in the gospel, Jesus tells a story about the parable of the sower and the seed. And some seed falls on the rocky path. What comes down and snatches the seed? Birds. Birds come down and snatch the seed. And Jesus interprets this parable for us. He says, those birds represent the evil one, the enemy. Satan comes to snatch them away. The birds in the parable are the birds in Genesis and the enemy isn't attacking Abraham. He's attacking the promise because we think, man, I'm under attack. No, we're not under attack. The promise is under attack. God, I've got sickness in my body. I'm under attack. No, the promise that God is a healer. He is a great physician begins to come under attack. And you say, I'm just gonna separate myself from the promise. I'm going to stop believing. I'm under attack right now. I've got a temptation in front of me, an addiction I can't be. I'm under attack. No, the promise is that no weapon formed against me will prosper, that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. It is the promise that is under attack. God, my family, my kids, they're running away from you. I'm under attack. My family's under attack. No, the promise is under attack. The promise that God is a good father that runs after the prodigal and sees them while they're a long way off and he can chase down anyone and no problem is too big for the God that we serve. The promise is under attack. And last time I checked, what Abraham did when the promise was under attack, he didn't get quiet. I didn't know if there's any farmers here. Last time I checked, when there's birds around that I don't want, this is not what I do. Man, it would be awesome if you kind of flew away right now. 
Anybody else, when you, when you find birds in your life, you know, as you're like, man, oh boy, you just, you, you shoe bird, you know, fly away, that'd be great. You kind of pestering me, that'd be so good. Man, you're really putting some pressure on me right now. I'm sure there's another field that you can go find some things in. Have you noticed that's not how you deal with birds? This is how you deal with birds. You begin to get loud. This is how you deal with birds. You get your hands in the air. This is how you deal with the birds in your life. This is how you deal with the promises that are under attack. This is how you deal with the things that God has told you and you find they haven't been fulfilled yet. What you do is you begin to get your hands in the air, church. And what you do is you begin to get a little bit loud and you begin to say, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. That my God is a healing God and nothing is too difficult for him. His arm is not too short to save. I'm getting a little bit louder. My hands are getting a little higher. I'm getting a little bit. Oh, we're doing church tonight. Some of you have got birds in your life and it's time to begin to tell them where to go. You're not under attack. He's attacking the promise. Abraham's one responsibility wasn't to keep the promise. His responsibility was to protect it. You see, what are we seeing in this passage? What are we seeing? How am I supposed to know? We're seeing a God who's initiating. We're seeing a God who's starting something. We're seeing a God that came to Abraham who comes to you and says, I found you when you were in hell and I've got heaven. I've got a promise in front of you and there might be giants in front of you and there might be nations that you have to go through, but I've got a promise that I started and if I started it, I'm gonna finish it. Don't you know, church, we got a God. He's the initiator. But he doesn't just initiate. He doesn't just make promises. Don't you know that, it, that the God that we serve, He makes promises, but He keeps them. You see, what are we seeing? What are we seeing? Abraham walks through and makes this promise. We see God initiates it. God's the one that says, if I break my promise, I die. If you break your promise, I'll still die in your place. And what do we begin to see thousands of years later? We see God not just make a promise. We see God, we see God fulfill a promise. We see a man, the son of God come down to earth. And we see God saying, I made a promise to humanity thousands of years. It's time to come good because there's humanity stuck in sin. There's humanity stuck in darkness. They don't know how to fix themselves. They don't know where to go. And so the light of the world came said, I've got a promise to fulfill. And in the garden of Gethsemane, in the pressure cooker, he begins to feel anxiety of separation from the Father. Why? So you wouldn't have to be anxious anymore that your past is going to catch you. What are we seeing? We see him on trial. Never making a mistake, always perfect. He's paying a price for my sin. What are we seeing? We see our Jesus hanging, he's hanging naked. Why? Because he's taking on the shame. He's taking on the shame that we experience, the things we don't want anybody to see or know about it. He experienced shame. 
What are we seeing? He was beaten. Why? Because you wouldn't have to beat yourself up anymore because the mistakes that you make don't have to haunt you because he was beaten for you. What are we seeing? On a cross, we see the Son of God dying. And what did it say took place at the 12th hour? A great darkness fell on the land. Why? Because the light of the world was being extinguished. The light of the world was dying in humanity's place. What are we seeing on the cross? A tangible darkness that is felt. Why? Because we recognize a world without a God, without a Savior. But how many of you know that our Savior did not stay dead? It was dark for three hours. But something happened. Something happened in that time that our God, our Savior went down to hell and it says he stole the keys to sin, the cycle of sin, the addiction to unable to fix ourselves, and he stole the keys to the consequences. It says that he went down into the depths of darkness and darkness could not overcome the light. The light has come into the world. John 1, 6, and darkness does not know how to overcome it. Why? Because it doesn't matter how great your darkness is. It doesn't matter how big a mistake you've made. It doesn't matter how far off you think you are to where you're supposed to go. All we need to do is let a little light in. Church, what is happening? Jesus came to fulfill a scripture where we were stuck in our sin, dealing with the things we don't want people to know about. He says, "I I can let a little light in. And where there's light, darkness has to flee. It can't stay. How are you supposed to know you're not going to deal with this the rest of your life? Because where there's light, darkness can't cohabitate. Darkness darkness can't hang around. When you get light in, darkness has to flee. How am I supposed to know where I'm going? When you get light, He lights your way. When you get light in your life, He shows you what you're supposed to do. For some of you here tonight, what I'm sharing is all you need to do is not try harder. What you need to do is not beat yourself up more. What you need to do is not try and try and get a little bit further ahead and a little bit smarter. All we need to do is say, Jesus, would you let some light in? Why? Because He made a promise and we can trust because He fulfilled it. You see, tonight, for some of us here, you find yourself in darkness. For some of us here, we might know God and we don't know where to go. For some of you here, I felt this tonight. I felt there's some people here and you recognize that there's promises in your life that are under attack. And because they've been under attack, you've let go of the promise. I'm going to stop praying for that. I'm going to stop reaching that family member because there have been promises under attack. I'm not going to, I don't want to get disappointed. So I'm just going to lay that one down. I'm not going to believe that that person, that person's really far gone. I don't know if God can reach them. I don't know if I'm going to make it. For some of you, there's been promises that you're more than a conqueror. I reckon, we talked about this at camp, your mind, I felt this anxiety, this cycle. Man, I'm always gonna deal with this cycle, this darkness in my mind. I don't know how to get rid of it tonight. My prayer is that you would begin to stand up and begin to break some of the birds that have come in and begin to steal some things from your life. And you're gonna stand up and say, you know what? My God made me a promise. And He already fulfilled it. He's gonna fulfill it in me.